From the red carpet arrivals to glamorous after parties, it's the most magical night of the year. And today, the Action Network honors Hollywood the best way we know how, by helping you profit off the monumental creative achievements of others. And what's more Hollywood than that? Let's gamble on the Academy Awards. Nineteen seventeen or Parasite? Who is going to take home Best Picture at the twenty twenty Academy Awards? And who should you be betting on in every category? This is the Action Network podcast, and we are going to break it all down on our special twenty twenty Oscars Awards preview. Let's get right into it. I am your host, Chris Raybon, a senior editor at the Action Network, and I'm going to be joined today by Carolyn Smith, an executive assistant at the Action Network and an actor, Katie Rich Creek, editor at the Action Network, and Colin Wilson, a senior writer. All of us probably way too deep into Oscar betting degeneracy. And I want to give an obligatory spoiler alert warning. Uh, if you haven't seen any of these films and you plan to check them out, keep in mind that we do talk uh, about some of the things that go on, some of the endings uh, in some of these films. So just wanted you guys to, to be warned about that one. Uh, let's kick it right off. We're going to go through all the categories. Uh, best picture, of course, will be how we kind of close it out, but we'll, we'll be kind of referring back as we go through all these categories. So let's get right into it. We're going to talk about the two screenplay awards because those are extremely important in deciding the best picture race, as is best director. And uh, all of the nominees are pretty much in, in one of these categories. So um, let's get right into it with best original screenplay. We have Parasite leading the way at a minus 197 favorite. We have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at plus 130. Marriage Story at plus 800. 1917 at plus 2,000. Knives Out plus 3,000. And I am going to kick it to you first, Katie. Where are you going for best original screenplay? So my pick here was actually a parasite at plus 350 last month before the odds moved and they became effectively the runaway favorite. Based on how the Academy has split major categories in the past, I think they're going to find a way to divvy up best original screenplay, best director and best picture between 1917 once upon a time and parasite. And I think original screenplay is an easier hurdle for them to overcome with parasite. To me, there are tons of parallels between Parasite and Get Out, which won this award back in 2017. That was Jordan Peele's movie. They have very similar themes and are very similar in terms of their story development, which makes me think that the Academy will sort of treat them in the same way. Um, like I mentioned, I bet this at plus 350 before the price went up, but I would personally bet it all the way down to even money. Colin, any thoughts here? Yeah, let me jump in on Katie here. She's talking the, you know, the Get Out and Parasite are kind of the same feel of a movie. And that's true because there's like no blood in the movie. And then at the very end, like, bam, everybody's dying and getting slashed up. But I mean, anytime you've got somebody doing a hammer throw on somebody else's lawn, I mean, it's like the greatest movie ever. As far as betting on this, films that are nominated at the Writers Guild of America Awards, but don't win anything, they have a really tough Oscar night. And so with the Writers Guild, which just happened this past weekend, and the reason why we're starting to see steam on Parasite is that the screenplay nominees were 1917, Booksmart, Knives Out, Marriage Story, and Parasite. So all we really care about is 1917 and Parasite, and Parasite won at the Writers Guild. So that's the reason for the steam where this has gone from four to one up to minus 160. So if you can find any, you know, odds that get this at plus money, you go ahead and buy it because Parasite is probably going to be the winner here, uh, according to trends and what the Writers Guild does. Really bad sign for 1917 for the rest of the night when nominees don't actually win at the Writers Guild. Caroline. 
I'm also predicting Parasite for this one. Tarantino did win at the Golden Globes, but Parasite will be recognized here, not just because of the recognition at the Writers Guild, but also I personally consider it to be a more compelling and interesting story. I think that if 1917 had had a little bit more dialogue, it maybe would have been a contender, but for me, Parasite all the way. Absolutely. You know, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood kind of started out here as the favorite. And then, you know, Parasite, it was a movie that kind of picked up steam. And remember, these Oscars are are happening February uh, 9th. Uh, that is extremely early in terms of Oscar season. And a lot of these voters, they don't get to see, you know, they watch a lot of these films as, um, you know, the season approaches and as their time to vote approaches. So a uh, Parasite, you know, a lot of these films came out toward the end of the year. Parasite picked up a lot of steam. I think as everyone, you know, started to see it, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was out, I think, a little bit earlier. It got the globe. But yeah, I agree with you, Caroline. I would probably bet Parasite down to... Uh, to minus 200. I don't think that this is this is one that's going to lose. Just a quick note for everybody listening. When we're talking about this, we're always looking for betting value. So you might hear us say, you know, I would bet this even if it's not necessarily the front runner or, or the one we think is going to win. It's because we are essentially looking for the, the nominee with the greatest chances of winning that are different from their, their odds. So you might hear that. But in this case, I think Parasite is the favorite um, and should be the one that everyone bets on. Let's get into best adapted screenplay. And here you're going to see uh, pretty much the, the rest of, uh, of the Best Picture nominees. And, and of course, adapted screenplay essentially based on a previous work. So you have Jojo Rabbit right now as the slight uh, favorite at minus 182. You have Little Women was a previous front runner down to plus 150. The Irishman plus 650. Joker plus 4,000, and two popes, plus 5,000. Uh, Katie, I'll kick it to you again first. Uh, you actually like one of the underdogs. Last month when we first started planning out this podcast, Little Women looked like one of the favorites. Um, but something interesting has happened since then. Jojo Rabbit has emerged from three back in the odds to, to being a slight favorite, as you mentioned. However, I do think that there's still value on Little Women as a result of that. With all the flack they got for snubbing Greta Gerwig out of a Best Director nomination, I don't really think the Academy can afford to not recognize her somehow. And whatever their intentions may end up being, I think that enough voters will end up finding a way to recognize her with this category. Um, I played Little Women at plus 170, which is only 37% implied odds. So I think there's actually value up here to minus 200. Caroline, what do you think? I am also going for the underdog here with Little Women. Jojo Rabbit did win the Writers Guild Award over the weekend, um, which is probably the change in numbers that we're seeing. But I agree with Katie. I feel like the lack of recognition for Greta Gerwig and Best Director, the way that the public and the industry have received this film, the Academy is going to lean towards recognizing her in this category since they don't have another opportunity to do so. It's tough for me here because I actually did put a, a little wager down on Widow Women uh, at plus 170 last month as well. So, you know, we talk a lot about when we're betting sports here at the Action Network, uh, sharp money. Of course, you know, we, we can kind of see the amount of percentage of bets on a given team and the amount of money. I like to look at goldderby.com, which is a you know site that specializes in predicting award shows. And their experts kind of have these two tied right now. Previously, Little Women was, uh, they, they were all over Little Women, which is kind of why I bet it. So um, we do see Jojo Rabbit picking up steam here. And I think the one interesting thing about uh, Greta Gerwig and, and, the, and the, you know, sn- getting snubbed as a Best Director nominee is that you also have uh, Taika Waititi, 
who, you know, also a great director snubbed as well. So, I mean, if, if it doesn't come down to something as simple as we, we snub Greta here, I still see the betting value, I think, on Little Women. But I think this is one to kind of monitor because if the experts are kind of moving towards Jojo Rabbit and we kind of see that picking up steam, I think that will probably be the winner. Is there Little Women fatigue? I know that there's Greta Gerwig. They want to honor her and a lot of voters will get their, their ballots and they'll fill it out for her. But is there Little Women fatigue because of how many times this movie's been done? I don't think so. This adaptation in particular was done in such a way that it it's kind of a new take. It doesn't follow the book directly. She's kind of taken the story that everybody, you know, grew up with and made it into its own thing. Personally, when watching the movie, it, it felt like a different story to me, putting the pieces together so that it does feel fresh and new. The nonlinear timeline that she uses within the film is really impressive. And I think it allows for almost a modern take on a timeless story. Since this is Greta Gerwig and since this is, you know, a direct, an up and coming director that the Academy is excited about, um, that definitely puts a different light on it as well. You know, I watch all of the Best Picture nominees at a minimum, uh, in addition to pretty much any of the, the other serious contenders for, for any categories I can. And when I had first bet Little Women, I, I kind of do it by math. So when the, the, the odds, the nominations kind of drop and, and the numbers come out, I have a model, you know, Oscar Metrics is a popular book that you guys can read if you want more info on that. There's also, of course, the GoldDerby.com uh, expert. So I kind of just ba- bet based on math. So I bet Little Women, I had not seen Jojo Rabbit yet. If I had removed the media attention surrounding the Greta Gerwig snub for Best Director and, and all that, I would have probably just said, okay, you know, Jojo Rabbit. And I think that's why you saw Jojo win it at the Writers Guild. I'm going to kick it to Colin. And Colin, we have Best Sound Mixing. Uh, 1917 is the favorite at minus 250. We have a a couple other contenders in here. Ford v. Ferrari being the uh, main one. What do you think here? Everybody gets best sound mixing and best sound editing, you know, mixed up in their head. They don't know exactly what the difference is between the two categories. So mixing is obviously how we put two sounds together and best sound editing is where, like, if you've ever seen how they made Star Wars, they just squished a bunch of fruit in their kitchen and they kind of dropped those sounds into the movie. And so people don't really realize that there's a difference between the two categories. And the Academy Awards don't sometimes realize there's a difference in the awards either. They have two respected guilds uh, for these categories for mixing and editing. The Cinema Audio Society does sound mixing. And then the motion picture sound editors, they do sound editing. And they have very small voter base and formed guilds that, that pick out these awards. And they're almost never the same. They pick out two different movies. When you get to the Academy Awards, we're talking 9,000 voters. And those voters generally don't know the difference between mixing and sound editing. So what's happened is you've seen 16 of the last 38 Academy Awards, the same movie has shared both of these categories. So from a betting standpoint for me, 1917 and Ford versus Ferrari lead the pack uh, in both categories. It gives value to both of them in in each of these categories. And and Ford versus Ferrari is the first thing I thought when I walked out. This is uh, a sound genius of a movie. It just roared the entire time. And I think the best plan of attack for both sound mixing and sound editing for me is to find the one that's two to one as a dog and take that because it's probably going to win both categories. There's a, there's a clear battle here. I think this one might actually be split only because one of the things that we've seen happen a little uh, lately is that the Best Picture nominees, they try to uh, give them at least one award. And I think Ford v. Ferrari, one of these categories might be a way for the Academy to, to give them an award. So I think when it comes down to mixing, I think this is, a, this is 1917. And then I think uh, editing could end up being uh, Ford v. Ferrari, but, but I do like 1917 for mixing. 
So the best sound editing category is up next. And here we have 1917 as the favorite at minus 275 Ford V Ferrari. Next one up at plus 150. And then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at plus 2,500. Star Wars plus 2,500. And Joker plus 2,800. Colin, I'll kick it to you first. Where are you going with, uh, with sound editing? There is a correlation with sound editing between movie budget and past winners. Ford versus Ferrari, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they all cost about $90 million to make. Joker was only 62.5, and Star Wars came in at $275 million to make. Did, did we, that's a lot of money. Jesus, that, what are we, at, at almost a billion dollars just to make another uh, Kylo Ren, uh, Adam Driver shirtless movie? Look how old you've become. I'm impressed. Uh, I think this is truly a coin flip between Ford versus Ferrari 1917 and the investment should reflect that. So if you can get two to one or better here on either of the movies, I think, I think it's a good play Uh, and lines are going to fluctuate. Remember, nobody actually knows when you see all of this line movement, keep in mind, nobody actually knows. This is the one award ceremony where no one knows who the actual winner is. So when you see game day steam or you see somebody chasing a number or you see an expert out there that says that they really know, they don't really know. You know, I, I love to look at kind of how the, the experts at Gold Derby are, are, are rating this. And, you know, the experts are generally the ones I look to because, you know, in fantasy football, you have your experts and you, you kind of look for the, the ones that are, you know, the, the sharpest guys and you see how they rank guys. And the experts, Ford v. Ferrari, 10 experts have voted for Ford v. Ferrari versus 18 uh, for 1917. For, for the editors, zero out of 11. The, the people who finished in the top 24 last year, not everyone has voted, but five of the 23 only for Ford v. Ferrari. Ford v. Ferrari is the most likely to win here if 1917 doesn't. And that's the one I, th- I would bet because they're the underdog. And I think, yeah, if you can get them at, at two to one or better, plus 200, uh, I think that is a, a good call. And in, in, when you're betting the Oscars, period, a lot of times you find the value on that first underdog. The, there's going to be a favorite. They're going to be usually better than 50-50, which means that they're going to have a minus in front of their odds at your sports book. And then the first favorite, that, that first one projected to be runner-up, a lot of times you see that um, is the one that wins. So yeah, Ford v. Ferrari would be the value here. Uh, let's get into best makeup and hairstyling. This is an interesting one. We have Bombshell, which did not get nominated for a best picture, but is a clear front runner here uh, at minus a uh, thousand. Then we have a couple of uh, best picture nominees. We have Joker at plus 550, 1917 at plus 2000 in the running as well. Uh, Judy at plus 1400, so 14 to one for Judy. Bringing up the rear, we have Melissa Fent at 33 to one. Uh, any thoughts uh, from any of you guys here uh, on this one? For me, this is my first shooting for a home run here on, on some dogs here. This is the first category where I'm really taking a shot. I'm going to split it up into two categories here. I don't think the numbers should be where it is. So trends show in best makeup and hairstyling that the winners tend to have more overall nominations than the average total nominations of it, its competitors. That's really important. Now you say, why is that? Some voters choose to vote for their favorite across the board, no matter what. They love the movie 1917. They're just going to write it down across every category. Other voters choose to honor a film that's in an obscure category. So they may like Joker, not as a best picture, but they're going to give it this obscure makeup and hair just to honor it and say, well, I like the movie, so I'll give you this. So that's how generally this category seems to go. Now, look at the number of nominations in this category. Bombshell, three. 
Joker has 11. Judy only has two. 1917 has 10. And Maleficent, which we will never say again, only has <laughs> one. The average nomination size in this category is 5.4. Both Joker and 1917 have blown that average size out of the water with, with 11 and 10, respectively. So the trends for this category for best makeup and hairstyle support Joker at plus 450 and 1917 at 25 to 1. I'm going to split up a wager. Uh, I'm going to do a half unit on one, a half unit on the other. And Bombshell, which only has three nominations, I mean, they're the one catching all the steam. And I understand for what the movie, what it represents. And people are going to think, well, that looks like great makeup and that looks like great hair. But that's not how this category has generally uh, predicted a winner in the past. For me, I think the the underdog pick is Joker. One of the ways I, I really like to look at kind of how the insiders here are voting is, you know, the ones that they don't pick at all uh, are generally they're very accurate in that. Like it, they almost n- almost never win an award, an Oscar when they uh, not even one expert has picked it. Like it's very very rare. I think only uh, Olivia Coleman when when she had that upset over Glenn Close last year um, was one of the only ones. So. 1917, none of the experts have picked it. Right now, uh, only three of the 28 that have voted uh, have picked Joker, two for Judy. Of the you know underdogs, Joker clearly for me um, over 1917. Probably going to be more experts kind of flipping that one. So uh, I'm with you. I, I, think, I think Joker at, at plus 450 would be the way I'd go. But um, I could see 1917 at least being in the running. I think those two movies are clearly the ones the Academy favors. It's very important to look at makeup and hairstyling guild awards, right? So Bombshell was in contemporary makeup. Joker was in period and character makeup. They both won. So they're going head to head here. The period character makeup category at the makeup and hairstyling guild awards, that's the one that has aligned on the last six Oscars in this category. So yeah, again, I think the value here is clearly on Joker. And depending on when you you listen, these odds might be vastly different. But another one where if you can get it at anything down to two to one, that's great. Let's get into best costume design. And this is another one where we have a somewhat of a face-off between Jojo Rabbit and Little Women. Little Women is the favorite here at minus 335. And then you have Jojo Rabbit at plus 275. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at plus 650. Joker at plus 3300. And The Irishman at 50 to 1. So plus 5,000. Colin, I'll kick it to you first and then Katie. You know, the the Costume Designer Guild Awards is really important here and Little Women didn't even get nominated. And so, you know, that gives value to Jojo Rabbit and we're seeing some steam come in on Jojo. He was, you know, it was 10 to one on the movie. Now it's plus 275. We don't know where the market's going to go from here. But, you know, if you even watch Jojo Rabbit, like invisible friend Hitler points out his pants. Jojo Rabbit's best friend is like pointing out his new military fatigues he's wearing. And then when he gets blown up later in the movie, they're talking about how, you know, his suit kind of came apart. Jojo Rabbit wants you to notice the best costume design and the costume design designer guild awards means everything to this category jojo rabbit won it and knives out one for contemporary film and maleficent won for fantasy film and neither of those other two movies that won contemporary and fantasy film are in this category so jojo won for period film that's a good indicator that they're going to take it down here i wouldn't be surprised to see jojo as possibly a favorite by the time the, the the showtime comes around for the academy awards so i'm taking a shot on jojo here at the current plus 275 don't worry about it. I'll let you in on a little secret. I couldn't care less. Yeah, in terms of betting value, I think another underdog worth consideration in this category is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Chris, you've mentioned the Gold Derby experts. Five of their 28 have picked Once Upon a Time in this category versus only three for Jojo Rabbit. And then, of course, 20 for Little Women as it is the favorite, which makes sense. Again, looking for that betting value, I think that Once Upon a Time is 
a potential underdog sleeper here. Um, also, it has the the Hollywood tinge to it. You know, we know the Academy loves movies about itself. I'm sure it also loves movies that depict an era in which is still enshrined as the golden one. So how can you put clothes on Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio and not win this category? And Margot, and Margot Robbie. Robbie. And yeah. Margot Robbie, right. Yeah, I think of those three, I definitely think that Margot Robbie, Sharon Tate stands out here. Um, and I think that the Academy will eat that up. I think that was a really sharp take by Katie as far as, you know, if you look at the, the implied odds, right around 18%, that would be about a you know, four and a half to one. So you can feel good playing that down to about, you know, five to one or, or four and a half to one, you know, and, and feel good about it. And right now it's at, you know, six and a half to one plus 650. So uh, I do like the, uh, the value on Once Upon a Time. All right, next we have Best Animated Short and the front runner is Hair Love at, at minus 250. We have Kitbull at, at plus 225 memorable at plus a thousand sister at plus a thousand and daughter at plus 3300 so if you look at the gold derby experts about 81 percent are backing hair love so that would be about minus 450 if you were converting that to betting odds and being that hair love is still at minus 250 i think that is where the value is in terms of the favorite uh, not too many people predicting an upset for that one. So again, I think you can feel good about hair love up to odds of minus 450. All right. It'll be interesting to see how many people are going to bet this one, but we're, we're covering every category here. So let's get into live action short film. We have Brotherhood as a favorite at uh, minus 305. We have The Neighbor's Window at plus 225. Saria uh, at plus 800, a sister at plus a thousand, uh, and Nefta Football Club at plus 1400. And I'm just going straight for the experts here. 59% of the experts are on Brotherhood. And <laughs> there's really none of them that, that stick out as better than what the, uh, you know, what the experts are kind of implying here. So this is one where if you're absolutely betting it, I'd probably just go and revert back to the favorite because I don't think there's any value on the underdog. It's all split up. That's really my only advice here, but this is probably a stay away. Some books let you parlay categories, you know, and I think we should talk about that because people are going to look at like a minus 305 or a minus 1,000 and say, well, this should be one part of my parlay card. I think this one is such a crapshoot where I wouldn't put a minus 305 on Brotherhood, even in my parlay card for action. Yeah, exactly. And just for everyone listening out there who might be unfamiliar, the implied odds or the probability that the book is implying when they give you those odds, um, you can kind of take that that number and add 100 and then divide you know the original number into it. So minus 305 would just be 305 into 405, uh, implying just about around a 75% chance to win. That's obviously um, you know not as high as the experts at 59%, but um, you know, you know, the books are also not really giving you good odds on any of the underdogs. And the way you calculate that one would be you just take the, the number 100, you divide it into the plus money odds plus 100. So like for a sister, for example, you just divide 100 into 750, you get about 13%. And, uh, you know, that, that is not, you know, experts are around 7% for that one. So it's the same thing kind of for all the underdogs, you don't really get any value there. So sometimes we'll just say three to one, if it's plus 300, they both mean the same thing. So let's get into another obscure category, best documentary short subject. Here, we have a pretty clear front runner learning to skateboard in a war zone. However, Colin, you like an underdog in this one. Uh, Tell us why. 
I do. There's a very buzzy underdog in shorts and best documentary short subject and learning to skateboard in a war zone. If you're a girl is a story that's definitely worth telling, but it doesn't really tap into the current democratic politics on gun violence, like St. Louis Superman. So if you want to know, you know, one of these stories is, is a foreign story, you know, learning to skateboard in a war zone as to where St. Louis Superman is about an activist in Ferguson, Missouri, who's elected to the Missouri house of representatives. You know, the main character, he's a, I think he's a rapper uh, and his brother was murdered uh, 30 years ago when he when he was nine years old. Uh, and the events in Ferguson led him all the way to Washington to pass a bill declaring gun violence in the Ferguson St. Louis region is a public health risk. Uh, to say this as clearly as I can, this is the most buzzy of all five. This is the one that the Academy can jump on, word of mouth, critics, reviews, everything is going to be domestic, gun violence, our culture, and not to mention that the Academy Awards within the last 10 years, the voters have come under fire for not being diverse enough and picking the same thing. every. And there's jokes about it told every year at the Academy Awards. They've added 1,500 voters in the last four years, I think. And I think that this is a movie where you're going to see a lot of talk about it. I think the 10 to 1 is, it, we've already seen Steam go from 14 to 1 to 10 to 1. Uh, and as we get closer to the Academy Awards, I think this number is only going to shrink. And I think St. Louis Superman has a real shot of taking it home. To kind of say it a little more clearly, I know you kind of <laughs> uh, glossed over it, but essentially what we're saying here is that the Academy uh, is pretty liberal to everyone, but the liberal media, in, in which case they're not liberal enough. And based on that, uh, St. Louis Superman uh, would be that choice. And if you look at the experts here at Gold Derby, um, value showing there as well, because you have, of course, the front runner learning to skateboard about 78%. That would imply, you know, about bet it to about minus 350. Um, however, St. Louis Superman, 7.4% of experts, which doesn't sound like a lot, but um, that would mean you would bet it to about 12 and a half to one. And right now it's still at 14 to one. So you can feel good betting that down to 12 and a half to one. I would jump on this now if you are listening, because as it gets steam, I think that you will see those odds uh, kind of shrink a little bit. So uh, do love St. Louis Superman. Let's get into best documentary feature. The front runner, American Factory. We have uh, Four Sama at plus 150. We have Honeyland at plus 1,000. The Cave at plus 5,000. And The Edge of Democracy at plus 8,000. As far as this one, I mean, American Factory is, you know, a favorite. It's minus 250. If you look at the experts, they're, they're pretty much in agreement. It's about 85% for them. And then the only other thing, as far as the Oscar metrics go, and you can look at you know the, the critics in Rotten Tomatoes and, and IMDb scores. And I think the one worry here for American Factory is that they didn't do very well in, in IMDb audience score, just a seven and a half. Um, that tends to not bode well. And then you have Forsama, which actually won uh, at the BAFTAs uh, in this category. For those two reasons, I would probably just look to take Forsama, but it, you know the odds aren't great anymore. They've kind of been bet down, but that also is kind of an indication that it has a better chance. But it's down to you know one and a half to one. I think if I'm betting it, I am you know going to lean that way, fade uh, American Factory because it's the front runner, but it's kind of sh in, on shaky ground. So let's get back to these uh, best picture contenders. Uh, you know, we got through some of those, those short film categories, a lot of just obscure films that uh, maybe you guys haven't seen as much of, but we're back. Visual effects, 1917, the favorite at minus 134. We have the Irishman at plus 
550 or five to one. We have Avengers Endgame actually was the uh, front runner before. It's actually at plus 250 now. So we have seen some line movement there because Avengers Endgame was uh, at minus 110 about a month ago. Um, then comes Irishman at, at plus 550. Lion King plus 600 and Star Wars at plus 2,500. I actually took uh, 1917 way back when it was plus 900. So I am really hoping uh, that this is truly the favorite now and it does hit, um, you know, it's all the way up to, uh, you know, minus 134. I think this one, this is one of those ones where 1917 is viewed as a technical achievement. It has 10 nominations, second behind only Joker. This is one of those categories where you usually reward one of those best picture nominee. And uh, I, I think this has 1917 written all over it. So still pretty good odds here for, for a, a movie that I think is better than 50, 50 to win. Uh, it's only at minus 134. Uh, I would, I would go with 1917 here uh, up to about probably minus 200. Let's get into film editing. Uh, this is one, this is a big best picture precursor. You know, when you see uh, film editing, you know, we know about best director and the screenplay awards. Film editing is one that, um, you know, you can see a, a Best Picture winner winning one of these, and you can also see the Best Picture nominees kind of securing the victory here. So it's interesting because the front runner for a while has been Ford v. Ferrari. It's still a small favorite uh, at minus 115. But you have Parasite just knocking on the door at plus 125. You have Irishman plus 600, Jojo Rabbit uh, plus 2,500 or 25 to 1, and Joker uh, 50 to 1. So, uh, Colin, what are you thinking here? I know, I know the metrics kind of point in a certain direction. Yeah, per Oscar metrics, uh, the best film editing is considered a close tie-in to best picture. So if you're not nominated for best film editing, you have a much lower probability of winning best picture. Uh, shout out to 1917 there, since they're not nominated for best film editing. And hmm. and just to stop here in the middle of the pod and say they could lose. Uh, there's a lot of categories we had at the beginning as far as sound goes, as far as screenplay goes. I mean, it, this could line up to be a bunch of dominoes that are still standing up at the end of the night for 1917. They're not even nominated for film editing. So we'll see what kind of night they have. But what you should do is if you like a best picture, but there is a better price on that picture in best film editing, you should go take the best film editing number. And the reason is because there's such a close tie-in between the two categories. Uh, best film editing is a good indicator, and there's not going to be any live books open for you to hit best picture after best film editing is announced. So if there's a better price in, be in best film editing versus the picture, best picture you like, you should go take that. That's a sharp take. And I think this is parasites to, to, to lose here. And the fact that you're still getting them as a slight underdog is just extremely, extremely good value. Because if you look at the, uh, the Eddie awards, which are the, you know, awarded for the, the best film editing parasite actually pulled the upset over Ford V Ferrari. So this is one where uh, I think you, you take parasite here and you don't even think, uh, think twice about it. All right, let's get to best original song. A clear front runner here is Love Me Again from the film Rocket Man, uh, minus a thousand. Caroline, there is an underdog that uh, I think you want to talk a little bit about. Yes, yeah, Stand Up from Harriet is performed by Cynthia Revo, who's also nominated for Best Actress for her role in Harriet as Harriet. I do think that this is one to watch. Cynthia Revo um, nominated for both of these awards. If she wins one of them, she becomes a member of the EGOT Club. So um, I think it's definitely going to be two categories to watch. 
I can't say for certain that this one will win over Love Me Again by Rocketman, but I do think it's really interesting to look at Cynthia being nominated in this category as well. I think with Best Original Song, it's not always the most popular one. Frozen 2 is nominated just because that film was popular and has a lot of uh, you know media attention. I don't know that that's going to be one to take it. For those of you li- out there listening to this, all of us are podcasting with Cynthia Revo shirts on right now. That's how much we love her. Big fan. <laughs> oh yeah, no, she was she was so good in in, uh, in Harriet. Um, you know, pl- of course, playing the role of Harriet Tubman. Caroline, I'm kind of in agreement with you. I think that if there is an upset here, it's stand up. And mm-hmm. you know, this is one where the Gold Derby experts at one point there was a lot of, of love for for stand up. About a quarter of them were actually pre- predicting uh, stand up would be the upset. Uh, Victor. However, they've kind of changed their tune a little bit now. Um, you know, only one of uh, 28 are, are picking them. A couple have uh, pivoted to Toy Story. I can't let you throw yourself away. So that's mm-hmm. some things to kind of keep in mind. But I would, st- you know, I, I did uh, get down on stand up. I think I got it about seven to one. Um, so I'm still hoping for stand up. I think there is, uh, if, if anyone wants the, the another long shot, um, besides stand up, which I think I still feel decently good about, uh, it would be that uh, I can't let you throw yourself away from Toy Story 28 to 1. Um, that Those are kind of the ones I, w- I would lean to. Uh, let's go to best original score. So this is one where it's kind of the, the overall music in the movie as opposed to song, which is an individual song. Here we have Joker as the front runner at, at minus 670. Then we have 1917 at three and a quarter to one or plus 325. Uh, Little Women, 12 to one. Marriage Story, 25 to one. Star Wars, 33 to one. And let me kick it to Colin. I'm a big movie soundtrack guy. Like the whole Danny Elfman, John Williams, Thomas Newman. Those are some just mainstays in my Spotify playlist. By the way, Spotify, where you can find the Action Network podcast. You should go and uh, sign up today. So I think the one thing is, is Joker for the composer uh, Hilder. And I'm, I'm not going to even make an attempt at the last day after so much practice and, and uh, watching her name pronounced. But she is also winning for Chernobyl right now. She just won a Grammy for Chernobyl. She's on fire. She's composer of the year at the 2019 World Soundtrack Awards. So it makes sense that she's favored here and that the Joker is heavily favored here and taking plenty of steam. But I will say there's going to be a sentimental vote put in by some of the voters for Thomas Newman. Thomas Newman has never won an Oscar, an original score, or song. And you say, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard of Thomas Newman, the name, but you've definitely heard his music. He's had 15 nominations that include Shawshank Redemption, American Beauty, Finding Nemo, Wally, this guy has never won an Academy Award for original score or song. At some point, you get a Lifetime Achievement Award. And that is a possibility here. But no, Joker should win. I like Joker. You know, I think the the odds that you would feel comfortable betting it right now, 86% of the Gold Derby experts like Joker. I do think that, you know, after watching all these films that Joker did by far have the best score and uh, the odds would be about minus 600 where you would feel comfortable. Anything more than that. And it's, and, you know, at uh, at DraftKings right now, it's at minus 670. So you'd like to see that uh, come down a tiny bit. Uh, not a huge, not a huge difference. So I think, you know, if you're, if you're the type out there, you're listening, you like to, to, to bet every category and you're, you're looking to bet the favorite here. I don't, I think you can feel okay at, at minus 670, but um, minus 600 would be where I would want these odds. So if you're not looking to back a favorite in this category and you're looking for one long shot just across all, all, all of the categories, I would say, honestly, marriage story at plus 2,500 could be 
worth a flyer. Uh, Marriage Story, we haven't talked a lot about so far on this podcast. It got a lot of nominations. I believe they had six or seven total across some of the major categories. Um, I know, Colin, you've got a pick for for this movie later on in the podcast, but um, I do think that if you are looking for really long odds, Marriage Story at plus 2,500 here could be worth a shot. And and Randy Newman actually did this score. um, And as everybody knows, he is very beloved both outside and and within the Academy. Wouldn't be too surprised there. The winning Newman, not the losing Thomas Newman. (laughs) Uh, Let's get into best production design. For this one, we have... One of the original best picture favorites. It's kind of lost some some steam lately. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. They are a short favorite, minus 155. 1917 uh, at plus 175. Parasite plus 350. The Irishman plus 3,300. And Jojo Rabbit plus 5,000. Colin, how are you feeling about this one? Yeah, this one is, I I don't think anybody should ever be 50 to one or 33 to one or a huge long shot because there's no real huge statistical trends around production design. It's really around three different axes, which is time, location, genre. You know, the US, France and Britain are equal in this category for wins. When you talk about location, New York has specifically dominated this over California and Illinois movies in the past. And drama has had the most winners, but it's also had the most amount of nominees. So it's hard to say, you know, the drama trumps everything other kind of movie. There's no play in the category, but I think it's completely wide open. The thing about best production design is, is which movie made you feel like you were actually there? And I have to say, you know, Jojo did just as good of a job making me feel like I was in Hitler's youth camp learning how to use my Hitler knife as Parasite did making me think I was in the slums watching a guy piss outside my window every night. I think the point is, is nobody should be too huge of a dog here. And I'm not saying that you want to have a huge investment on it, but I don't think there's any way that anybody should be a big favorite and nobody should be a a huge dog here. So if you want to throw 10, 15, 20 bucks on a 50 to one or a 33 to one for fun, I think this is the category to do it. The front runners here are definitely Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Parasite. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is definitely a front runner for me because I felt like the time was really accurately represented. And I thought they did a really great job of showing, you know, the old Hollywood on set life as well as, you know, taking it to the Manson compound. And I do think one scene in particular that stands out to me in Parasite is uh, the flooding scene where they're going back down to the slums and there's the rain and, and they get back to their house and everything is flooded and they're grabbing everything. I do feel like certain scenes from Parasite like that one, certain aspects of that stand out to me production wise. But if we're looking at time, location, I do think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood kind of nails those. My money is on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I wouldn't be surprised if Parasite took this. Yeah. And, you know, looking at the experts, about 68% uh, do like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We've talked a lot about about some of these best picture noms. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at one point was a a front runner for that category. It's kind of lost some steam, but uh, was still one of uh, the Academy's favorites here and, um, you know, heavily nominated. And this, it might end up just being one of those that, that once upon a time wins um, because it's it's kind of not getting a lot of love elsewhere because uh, you know as Katie and, and you guys mentioned they are they do kind of divvy these awards up a little bit uh, and, and we know once upon a time was a, a favorite of the academy so yeah I, I'd probably go once upon a time I think it's still at a decent value and it is again still better than 50 50 if you look at the you know the industry experts so you have a, a couple of things that line up for the uh, front runner here. Next, we have Best Cinematography, and we won't spend too long on this one. 1917, the clear favorite at minus 5,000. The other contenders, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, White House, and Joker. 
4% of the experts are predicting Joker. The other 96% are picking 1917. So anything 25 to 1 or better for Joker, I think, is a solid long shot hedge. But 1917 looks like it has this one in the bag. Uh, let's go to best international feature film. And we don't really have to spend much time at, on this at all because this is Parasite just dominating in this one. You have to weigh minus 10,000. Uh, Without a doubt, it's it's going to be Parasite for sure. I don't think there's any real competition. My only concern, I don't know if in, anything in Oscar metrics spoke about this, but is there anything if a film wins Best International Feature Film that they then go on to win Best Picture? Has that ever happened? It has not. So that's and that's the worry for Parasite here with Best Picture is that you, you've never seen, and, and of course, there's a first time for everything. We should mention that when we talk a lot about these precursors that the Oscar changed to a preferential ballot a, a few years back, and they also changed to more Best Picture nominees to where you can have nine or 10. So we've only had about you know t- a decade worth of that data with this new format. Um, So a lot of times when you're looking at these precursors in in that lens, just keep in mind that the sample size uh, is incredibly small. That being said, we did have a situation last year, as a matter of fact, where we had a front runner for best picture. That was Roma. uh, And it ended up winning the international category, winning the director category and losing best picture. So that is something to keep in mind. Uh, of course, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, the full best picture race after we get through uh, the rest of these categories. But yeah, that, that is something to keep in mind. This category is a uh, lay your entire bankroll, right? I mean, there's no way Parasite doesn't win this thing. Probably, I would say the best bet on the board in terms of most likely to win, you know, all of the experts, all 100% are, are on them. Pretty, pretty much a lock here. Uh, let's get into best animated feature. That's uh, another one of those little more obscure categories, although a bunch of uh, films that, you know, some people have seen, at least Toy Story, I think the favorite here, uh, minus 200. That is one where a lot of people, depending on if you have kids or whatnot, you've probably seen that one. And you have Claws at uh, plus 125, Missing Link at plus 900. I Lost My Body at plus 3,300. And How to Train Your Dragon uh, Hidden World at plus 5,000. Colin? You know, it's really easy to pick a winner in this category. And I think you and I kind of disagree here, Chris, on what our selections are, because I, I don't think Missing Link and I Lost My Body have a chance to win this. The steam would go against me. It would support uh, those two movies. But the highest rated movie per Rotten Tomatoes is in conjunction in conjunction with it being a Pixar film, have meant straight winners in this category the entire time. So let's go look at Rotten Tomatoes rankings of these movies. Missing Leak, 89% for the critics, 66% for the audience. Not very good. Toy Story 4, 97% for the critics, 94% for the audience. That's huge. I Lost My Body, 96 and 87. You know, Dragon, 90%. Claws, 98% with, an, with a, you know, a high audience score. So, I mean, Claws actually has a better chance than anybody uh, of contending with Toy Story. Toy Story moving back once at minus 2,000 on DraftKings. Uh, missing Link one at the Globes. I think that's the reason why we're seeing some steam come in here. Uh, so now Toy Story is all the way down to minus 200. And I think that's a number that I'm just going to let Missing Link, Claws, uh, you know, I lost my body, whatever the steam is going on these. If Toy Story wants to continue to drop, I'll come in and hit it. I mean, this is a Pixar film. They got a 97% critic score and a 94% audience score. I can see plenty of the 9,000 voters just filling this out with Toy Story, no matter if Missing Link won at Golden Globes or not. That's a completely different voting block than what the Academy Awards is. So for me, I'm going to let this number keep taking a dive on Toy Story 4 and that's what I'll be on. 
I think that I actually agree with you that clause is probably the one, you know, looking at that, that 98% audience score. And then, you know, just kind of looking at the odds now clause came way down um, to plus 125. You know, it was the longest shot underdog about a month ago when we first started kind of, uh, you know, looking at everything at, at 25 to one. So I think that the issue here is now you, you look at the experts and uh, on Gold Derby, for example, and they, you know, about 21% uh, like clause. So now that's down to, you would probably feel good betting that down to about three and a half to one or so. Uh, but the odds are, are a lot, you know, shorter than that. So then you have a Toy Story, you know, they are 17 of, of the 28 experts uh, like Toy Story. So it's kind of, there is a lot of dissension here. So I probably wouldn't bet Toy Story unless it did get down to even money. I think it's it has a 50-50 shot and do not want to weigh money uh, on Toy uh-huh. Story. Uh, let's get into a big one. Best uh, Supporting Actor. Uh, these are kind of the, the ones where I think people are are pretty interested in. And we have some very, very big frontrunners for some of these categories. So Brad Pitt from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the big favorite at a little over uh, minus 3,300. Then we have Joe Pesci from The Irishman at 12 to 1. Al Pacino from The Irishman at 28 to 1. Tom Hanks from A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood at 35 to 1, and Anthony Hopkins from Two Popes at 50 to 1. Uh, Caroline, how are we feeling about this one? I think that Brad Pitt is a lock for this one. This is a, a crazy category. There are a lot of big names and a lot of great performances, but the Brad Pitt's performance once upon a time in Hollywood completely blows all the others out of the water. He's a pretty safe bet for this category. I got to add this to my Tinder profile. <laughs> Let's be honest, it was a difficult part. A guy who gets high, takes his shirt off, and doesn't get on with his wife. It's a big stretch. Okay, and yeah, I I agree. I actually bet on Brad Pitt to win this award. And and this is kind of why I do some of these early. Um, Just to get a little little down on some of these favorites. And I got him actually at minus 650. Again, he's minus... Thirty, a little over minus thirty three hundred right now. So, uh, one of the twenty eight, uh, just under four uh, percent, picks Anthony Hopkins uh, to win this award. And I think in Oscar metrics, they do talk about some of the older guys in, in this category tend to tend to get rewarded. You know, he's thirty three to one uh, to win this best supporting actor for two pope for his role in two popes. Um, so, I think that's a that's worth a tiny tiny hedge. Uh, let's get into best supporting actress and Laura Dern. Marriage Story, way out in front, uh, just over minus 3,300. And then we have Margot Robbie of Bombshell at 12 to 1. Florence Pugh of Little Women at 14 to 1. Scarlett Johansson of Jojo Rabbit, 25 to 1. And then Kathy Bates from the film Richard Jewell at 50 to 1. And Caroline, I'll start with you again. Laura Dern here, or uh, are we going for an underdog? This is a pretty tight race between Florence Pugh and Laura Dern. Um, the numbers have shifted a, a little bit since uh, we first looked at it. And now Laura Dern is definitely the favorite. I think that Laura Dern is the most likely winner. I do think Florence Pugh is great in Little Women. She's had an incredible year. There's no doubt that she's talented. She wrapped Midsummer and was on set filming Little Women the next day, which if you've seen both of those films, you know how different they are um, and how, I mean, as an actor, it's just two completely different mindsets to be in. Marriage Story, I thought the Laura Dern's performance really made the film for me. I loved her as the lawyer. The Academy in general really likes Laura Dern, so I think that they'll recognize her here. 
Yeah, and to jump on to Laura Dern's performance and marriage story, just let me throw some life experience out there for anybody that's never been divorced and is about to get a divorce. Go watch a marriage story on Netflix. You want Laura Dern as your lawyer to defend you, to get you through the worst time of your entire life. And I think Adam Driver says it best, right, Katie? He says when he's washing the dishes, he says, I had to get my own asshole, right? Laura Dern's performance in this is to a T what an asshole lawyer is that you want to represent you when you're going through a divorce. I'm going to stop you there. When you do this for real, don't ever say that. You will always be held to a different, higher standard. And it's fucked up, but that is the way it is. Yeah, I think she's got this category locked up the same way that Brad Pitt has Best Supporting Actor locked up. You had to lay a lot of juice to better even a month ago, but we've since finally seen those shift in a similar way that the odds had shifted for for Brad Pitt. Her performance was incredible to Caroline's point. The Academy does love her. To Colin's point, she captures a type of experience I think a lot of people can relate to, um, even especially within the Academy. So another another thing I would add about Marriage Story, it really hinges on acting. Like that is what this movie is. There's nothing splashy about it. There's no visual effects. The screenwriting is great and the acting is great. So I do think that Laura Dern is, is, is a pretty much a lock here. It's amazing that she's a side note in Big Little Lies. Like I think for anybody that's a big fan of Big Little Lies, like you'll come to this movie and Laura Dern's like just spot on. Just she's, she's fantastic. Yeah, like Laura Dern, and I, I hope you guys are wrong. I should say because uh, when the when the numbers first came out, I actually bet uh, Florence Pugh at twenty to one. But uh, I would agree. I think I think Laura Dern is is clearly uh, the the favorite here. All right, let's get into best director, and this is a big one as far as best picture precursors go. And here are the all male nominees. We have Sam Mendes of nineteen seventeen, the clear favorite. Minus 1250. Then we have Bong Joon-ho of Parasite at plus 500. We have Tarantino from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at plus 1400. Martin Scorsese of The Irishman, he is at plus 4000. And Todd Phillips of The Joker, plus 5000. So I will kick it to you first, Katie. Uh, I I know you have kind of a contrarian view on on this. Who do you think is winning? I do. So this will either end up looking like a very sharp long shot or I'm going to be looking like the biggest idiot by the end of Sunday night. But I do think that there's value on Tarantino here. He's never won Best Director, which is a fact that I definitely think the Academy was considering as they were voting. And Once Upon a Time is his ninth of 10 promised feature films. And there's still a non-zero chance that that's a Star Trek film. And I think the Academy will definitely keep that in mind. When I apply my theory of Once Upon a Time 1917 and Parasite splitting best picture, best director, and best original screenplay. Tarantino seems like the obvious pick for director. Plus, Once Upon a Time is now the third favorite for best picture, which it previously was the first for a long time in the run-up to award season. So knowing the negative correlation between winner of best picture and the winner of best director over the past few years, I'm all in on Tarantino. I initially bet him actually at plus 800, and you can now get him at plus 1400, um, thanks to all the buzz around Sean Mendes and and Bong Joon-ho. For context, plus 1400 is only a 6.7 implied in probability that it'll be Tarantino who wins. But in a three-way race, and with this hinging on best picture, I do think that Tarantino is worth a long shot bet here. Caroline, you like like the favorite. Tell us why. 
Yeah, I'm betting on Sam Mendes here. I think the long takes that they did to give the illusion of one continuous take throughout the movie was successful. Um, I think he created a great story. It reminded me a little bit just in terms of filming of the 2015 Best Picture winner Birdman, which also shot in one continuous take. I do think that the Academy will recognize him for that choice. I recognize that there's not a lot of editing love for this movie. So I think that the, the directing will be where they kind of take it. When you watch this movie, it took until the third time where I realized that they had to do so much pre-calculation before they filmed to make this a continuous movie. And I want to be specifically when Schofield is running through the city of Acoust. They had to know, they sent flares up into the air and they had to know exactly the measurement of every shadow on the screen because they can't get caught with somebody from the set being shown or a shadow being shown. But they calculated everything to a T, the width of the trenches, the height of the trenches, uh, the shadows in a coos, uh, when to cut, you know, jumping into the river, uh, everything in that movie uh, from a lighting perspective, everything was pre-calculated. And it's probably one of the technically most beautiful movies has ever been done in history. Uh, Roger Deakins is going to win cinematography hands down. I don't even think you can find odds on it because it's such a shoe in and Mendez is about as close. You're going to get to, to getting Deakins in for cinematography, but you know, keep in mind five of the five of the last seven best directors and best picture have not been the same. If you want to bet on 1917 to win best picture, it might be best to pay a little bit more for Sam Mendez as best director. To me, it looked like uh, Bong Joon-ho was going to be the only uh, challenger because of, you know, perhaps Parasite wasn't going to get as much love elsewhere. Um, so I did bet it back. I think it was like plus 175. Um, that's actually moved, you know, the other way. So it's it's plus uh, 300 now. Sam Mendes, when you look at it, he is the clear favorite. And there's actually value on him now at these odds because, uh, you know, again, Sam Mendes, it, minus 134. That, uh, that, that's just a tiny bit better than 50-50. And if you look at the experts, they're about 70%. So I think there's value down to about minus you know, 250 or, or so on, uh, on Mendes here. So I, I uh, actually do like the value here on Mendes. You don't often see that. And I'm sure these odds will shift more in his favor. But um, he pretty much cleaned up all the directing awards throughout, all, you know, throughout award season. Uh, and of course, the, the key one being the Director's Guild, which he took home. So uh, I think that Mendes, to me, is, is a clear favorite. And I think this is one where best pitcher, you know, Colin, you kind of hit on it. Uh, you know, it doesn't always line up, but this film, you know, it being the front runner, 1917 is the front runner for Best Picture. It has the second most nominations at 10. I don't think that they they fade Mendez here. Yeah. I think that they they fade him at Best Pick. Yeah, I agree. And I agree. And and that's sad because I, the 1917, I think, is my favorite movie out of all of them in the bunch. But I think this is where you want to try to cash in on that. And two other notes we should put in is that the Directors Guild has not failed to nominate the Oscar winner since 1949. The Directors Guild has actually chosen the actual winner in all but seven years since 1949. Sam Mendes won the Directors Guild Best Director. He's going to win it here. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. Ladies and gentlemen, Academy Award winner Francis McDormand. Okay, guys. Sit up straight and act presentable. Uh, let's go to Best Actor. The five distinguished nominees for Best Actor in a Leading Role are... Joaquin Phoenix of The Joker at minus 5,000. Big favorite there. Adam Driver at, for Marriage Story. He's at 10 to 1. We have Leonardo DiCaprio from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at 33 to 1. Antonio Banderas from Pain and Glory at 50 to 1. And Jonathan Price from The Two Popes at 66 to 1. Colin, how are we feeling about this one? 
Well, I, first off, I don't want Katie to throw anything at me here because I might throw some shade at Adam Driver and I know that she's going to get really mad at me, but I'm trying to poke holes in this Joaquin Phoenix role, right? I mean, he's just, he's outrageously out the door on his odds that, I mean, he's something that you feel like you can put into a parlay card. I mean, he won, I think, Golden Globes, Saggies. I think he swept almost everything that he's been in. And from a betting perspective, historically, per Oscar metrics, the, strong, the strongest best, best actor features are a non-British man in a British role. Well, we don't have any of those in this list of guys, so we don't have to worry about that this year. But in further years, you should look for a non-British guy in a British role. Those have been money. I will give a shout out to Adam Driver. I thought he was absolutely fantastic in A Marriage Story. He deserves all the buzz that he's getting. He showed tremendous amounts of layers to his acting. I mean, I'm a guy, I'm a Star Wars fanatic for my entire life. And this is a guy that just kind of grunted and emoed and would smash things up when he was pissed off and then killed his dad as Kylo Ren. And now he's having FaceTime conversations with Ray with his shirt off. He means nothing to me. Just left a really bad taste in my mouth. But then I see Adam Driver in Black Klansman as a Jewish cop trying to infiltrate the KKKs. Like the, I mean, he's playing multiple roles in that movie. And then you go to a marriage story where, you know, he's a theater director and he's, you know, trying to fly to both coasts. And he just, he nails the role of a father who has had his life completely turned upside down, uh, has had his time split in half with his kid. His wife is, you know, just kind of said that she's done. They're going to play it nice and they don't play it nice. And his moments of frustration and yelling were so much more focused and centered and, and hit home with me than anything he ever did as Kylo Ren getting pissed off. So Adam Driver is good. I don't think he can beat Joaquin Phoenix though. Anything else? I would just like the record to reflect that Adam Driver's diversity and his acting ability has predated Star Wars as Kylo Ren. I understand that Kylo Ren's character is very hateable, very emo. I'll show you the dark side. However, if you've watched Girls, if you watched Francis Ha or any of the other movies that Adam Driver's done with Noah Baumbach, he has shown his range prior to this. Um, but I'm, I am happy that it finally reached you, Colin. <laughs> well, he, I think we can agree that he's going to win this award someday. I mean, he is good enough to win this award. It's just being a San Diego native that's not British in an American role on Netflix is not the combination to get you this award. Yeah, that's definitely fair. And I do think you're right. I think that he's young. He's going to be around for a long time. I do think that the Academy realizes that and we'll factor that in. Um, and, and to your point, it is hard to poke holes on what Joaquin Phoenix did in Joker. One thing I will say about Joaquin Phoenix, the Academy loves method actors. When you kind of completely immerse yourself in the emotions and the kind of psychological aspects of your character, it's been re widely reported that Joaquin Phoenix did not break character when on set. He starved himself. He, like many of the actors who have played the Joker, he kind of dove into this character and went a little crazy himself in the process, which I think has proven to be successful for those playing the Joker in giving a, a incredible performance, but in the acting community is a little bit controversial. Uh, when looking at other method actors such as Daniel Day-Lewis, Meryl Streep, they are widely revered by the Academy. There is something to be said for throwing yourself into the work, and I think people recognize that, be it with the acting or even with the physical appearance. People are more likely to win an Oscar if they're shaving their head, if they lose a lot of weight, if they gain a lot of weight. So I do think that that is going to be a, a factor, and I do think that's one of the reasons that Joaquin Phoenix is a lock here. 
Anytime you do something to your appearance or your body in the best actor role, it seems to get you home. Fun fact, uh, where they filmed that movie, uh, one of the train station scenes, Bedford Park Boulevard, that is actually where I grew up, my hometown, my actual train stop. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping Joker wins. I think Joaquin was better than Heath Ledger in that role. You look at the 11 nominations, leading all movies. As far as acting goes, uh, he was on screen for a large portion of the time. You really got into his psychology as you kind of went through that film and you weren't kind of looking at it as, Oh my God, the Joker's going nuts. Like you were really thinking about it, you know, as he would. So I think let's get into best actress. And here are the nominees for best performance by an actress in a leading role. We have Renee Zellweger as the favorite at a little more than minus 3000 Scarlett Johansson, for Marriage Story, plus 11 to 1. Cynthia Erivo, 25 to 1. I'm sure we will talk about her. And Charlize Theron from Bombshell, 33 to 1. I can't believe this. And I'm not going to cry. Sorsha Ronan from Little Women, 33 to 1 as well. And I know a lot of opinions here. Caroline starts off. Who do you think is going to win this one? I am actually going to take a revo on this one. I know that Renee Zellweger won the Golden Globe, but as Colin mentioned, it's a completely different voting process. So while I do think that put her at a slight advantage as far as numbers go, I do think Arivo is going to take it this year. They both played historical characters, but I feel like Arivo will be recognized by the Academy. The story of Harriet Tubman is a little bit more groundbreaking, and I found her performance to be more impactful than Renee Zellweger's. It also maybe were Worth mentioning Arivo is the only person of color nominated in an acting category this year. I don't know how much that's going to play into the Academy's thought process, but I do know that they are trying to diversify. They're not doing a great job of it, but I'm hoping that the new voters that have been added in the past few years will take that into account and will recognize her for the work that she's done this year. Yeah. So sitting around at about two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, reading these books, Oscar metrics and doing a little, you know, Google searching on some of the aspects of this category, things just were not adding up for me for Renee Zellweger. And I thought to myself, I don't think that anybody's, you know, there just seems to be a serious gap in this category as far as the age, the role, uh, and, and something is just not adding up for me whatsoever. Now, I understand the steam just kind of took off on Zellweger after she's won, you know, what, SAG and Golden Globes and everything else. But the real question was out there is, can Arivo pull off the upset? I started diving into statistical trends to show two very strong metrics for best actress. The first is that you need to play a historical characters. Historical characters always win best actress. Both Zellweger and Arivo are accomplishing that. Age you should never talk about a lady's age, but age has a huge role in the Oscars being handed out to actors, especially in Best Actress. A Best Supporting Actress peaks in the early 30s as the award has always favored a younger crowd. The curve is way different for an actress as there's a steep decline around the mid-20s. Now, you know, late 20s and early 30s can still win the award for Best Actress. Uh, you know, Marley Matlin was 21, Jennifer Lawrence was 22, Audrey Hepburn was 24. And then it just goes into a flat line around the late 30s, all the 40s, the 50s, the win probability for actresses in this age, not good whatsoever. Then it rebounds just before the age of 60. Helen Mirren won it at 61 years old. Meryl Streep has won it at 62. Jessica Tandy, Driving Miss Daisy, she was 80 years old. So Cynthia Revo just turned 33. She is around a 23% win probability for all the best actresses that have won before, uh, which is, you know, is still on the down curve, but she's not in the cellar. Not like Renee Zellweger, who is exactly 
50 years old. Now, going back to Arrivo, there's been six previous winners that have been 33 years old. So people have won it at her age. Renee Zellweger, when I started looking this up, she has the lowest win probability for all previous Best Actress winners. And when you look at the age range, I couldn't even believe this. Remember, Renee Zellweger, you complete me. Nobody between the age of 50 to 53 has ever won Best Actress. She would be the first one ever. Only two winners in the history of the award have ever won and been between the ages of 50 to 59. That is absolutely amazing. A Revo for me, 40 to 1, 30 to 1, 25 to 1. You throw in the diversity, you throw in the age range, you throw in the, the historical trends in this category. This is the biggest dog of the night. A is going to pull it off and we're all going to go on vacation. So I'll start out by saying, again, the, the first thing I always look at before I even kind of crunch the, the metrics is, is just I want to see where the experts are. This one kind of scared me at first because 100%, every single expert uh, on Goldery voted for Renee Zellweger for her role in Judy. And then you look at it. And the reason, I, again, the reason I always look to them is because it's not so much that they always 100% or they're great at predicting the winner. They're usually in the uh, about 66 to 92% uh, range in terms of accurately predicting the winner, but they're close to um, 99%, 98, 99% when it comes to predicting the winner among the, the ones that they nominate. So uh, if, if they're not picking anyone, uh, if, they, if it gets like zero first place votes, it, you can pretty much count it out. So this is one that kind of, it scared me at first, but Interestingly enough, if you look at one of the only ones that they've gotten wrong, where they've no expert from Gold Derby has voted for a, a nominee that eventually won, it was last year. It was Glenn Close with 100% of expert votes lost to Olivia Coleman from The Favorite, who had 0%. No one, because no, no, no one had anything. And guess what? Glenn Close, over 70 years old. Olivia Coleman, mid 40s. Love Cynthia Revo here. I'm so excited. Uh, all night it's going to be, let's go, Revo. All night. I want to say thank you to you. I've wanted more than anything to have your respect. This time I feel it, and I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And now the award that we've all been waiting for, the one that gets the most action, attracts the most bets every single year. And just want to let you guys know, I'm going to give the DraftKings odds for best pitcher, but you can get 10 to 1 odds on any Oscars best pitcher bet at DraftKings Sportsbook. It must be your first DraftKings Sportsbook wager. It is paid out in cash, New Jersey, Indiana, residents only. Check out DraftKings Sportsbook for more details. Thank you. Well, and finally, it all comes down to this. The best picture. And the nominees are... 1917. Now, the clear frontrunner at minus 250. Then you have Parasite at three and a half to one. You have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at eight to one. You have Joker at 12 to one. You have The Irishman at 50 to one. You have Jojo Rabbit at 66 to one. Little Women, 100 to 1. Marriage Story, 100 to 1. And then Ford v. Ferrari at 250 to 1. And the Oscar goes to... Colin, I'll kick it to you first because this is a... It's somewhat of a wide-open race. What are you kind of feeling like here? I think it's not only just a wide-open race. You have to think about what the voting process is, right? Like, so they rank. They just don't send in, like, this is my winner. Here you go. This is my vote. They rank them. 
one through whatever. So you could have a movie that potentially gets enough votes to be considered for best picture in the, in the, in the process, but it could do a clean sweep of like second place and still win best picture. So knowing that second place, a, a, a whole boatload of second place votes can get you best picture. This is considered the category where you pick the movie that you hate the least as, you know, uh, let's talk about the biggest upsets in best picture history. Three of the biggest upsets in best picture have come in the last 15 years. 2016 Moonlight over La La Land. Guys, I'm sorry. No, there's a, there's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won best picture. This is not a joke. This is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. This is not a joke. Moonlight has won best picture. 2015 Spotlight over The Revenant and 2005 Crash over Brokeback. Moonlight is the only film in history to win Best Picture after being denied the honor by BAFTA, Writers Guild, SAG, American Cinema Editors, Directors Guild, and Producers Guild. And you know why? Because they didn't, they got a bunch of second and third place votes on ballots and still had enough tally at the end to win the whole thing. I mean, that is an amazing stat to not pull Best Picture from any of those guilds and still win it at the Academy Awards. Only Annie Hall has ever won Best Picture with an average nomination score of minus 1.6. So let's talk about that again, average nomination score. So take up all the, the, the best pictures in this category, what their average nomination is across the entire field, and then you can't win best picture if you have a negative 1.6. So if you look at that, the average nomination score for these pictures is 7.66. That knocks out every member in the field except 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Joker, and Irishman. Now we're gonna throw Irishman out, it's a Netflix movie, 93% of Best Picture winners have had a Best Director nomination, 89% have had a Screenplay nom, and 82% have had a Best Editing nomination. Irishman, Joker, and Parasite got all three of those. While 1917 is going to win Director with Sam Mendes, we said, but they have no nomination for Best Editing, and that scares me a lot because that's one of the Grand Slams that you got to have. 1917 would be the first picture to win Best Picture without a nomination of Best Acting or Best Film Editing since 1934 when editing became a category. Films that looked like potential Best Picture frontrunners but were given snubbed for writing in the last few years ended up losing top Oscar like Gravity, Revenant, Dunkirk. No film since Titanic has won Best Picture without a writing nomination. So it's a huge hurdle for Sam Mendes in 1917. I got 1917 a plus 250. I wouldn't buy it as a favorite at all right now, considering all of these statistics, especially with the editing portion of this. Hollywood was nominated for three of the Grand Slams, writing, directing, and acting, no editing. 1917 is very similar to The Revenant. Came on around late Christmas release. Uh, the Golden Globes picked it up as best picture. Oscars still went to spotlight over, over Revenant. People are going to knock 1917 for no editing award and a lack of dialogue. People will knock Parasite for being a foreign film and a very low number of total nominees for best picture. While we may not vote for the best movie, which movie can generate enough top three votes, right? What is the movie that I least hate? And I think Hollywood is the one that's very capable of that. With an outside shot to Joker, I think some people are going to hate that. There's a reasonable argument that 1917 and Parasite are going to get left out. One's a foreign film. One doesn't have any editing. One doesn't have any acting. There's a good case for Joker and Hollywood can generate enough second and third place votes that they can win this thing. So my plan of attack is to just wait, let the numbers get inflated. And I absolutely think with the number of nominations that Hollywood and Joker has, they can generate the least hatred in the votes and actually win this thing. Yeah, Colin, I think that's a very fair and compelling argument about Once Upon a Time and Joker um, having that universal appeal across, you know, those two to three place votes. And I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if either of them won, but I will say that the rapid growth of the voting body, which we mentioned earlier, over the past five years specifically, makes me think that this could be the year that a foreign film has a chance at Best Picture. You know, 
we talked about this earlier as well. Everyone thought that film would be Roma last year, um, but there was a, an additional hurdle, which was the fact that it was a Netflix film. And while I don't think that the Academy is necessarily fading Netflix films, I do think that they place a premium on the theater going experience. And while that might sound a little bit silly, I do think it could factor in here. Um, as far as the growth of the voting body following Oscars So White in 2015, they almost doubled their new members year over year and since then have been growing at a similar rate. Um, and the year after they initially did that, that was the year Moonlight won in an upset of La La Land, which at the time looked poised to to win because it was a classic Oscar pick. Um, now, I don't exactly know how to account for Shape of Water and Green Book winning over the past couple of years, um, but I do know this. The Academy is getting increasingly unpredictable with that growth. All that to say, I have an outside hope that they will overcome that one-inch barrier Bong Joon-ho mentioned. Once you overcome the one-inch tall barrier of subtitles, you will be introduced to so many more amazing films. And I do think there's a chance that this can go to Parasite, which is why I bet it at plus 450 to win last month. That's an implied probability of 18.2%. And like we've mentioned, this is a wide open race. So I still think that there's value on it at plus 350, which you can get at DraftKings. Um, and I would bet it all the way down to plus 200. Like Colin, I did also take 1917 at plus money last month just because of the value, but I don't think I, I definitely wouldn't take it now that it's the favorite at minus 250. Katie, I completely agree that the Academy is getting increasingly unpredictable, especially with this category. Like Colin mentioned, this is a category where we have seen several major upsets in the last few years. Everybody in the office is taking 1917, but I'm putting my money on Parasite. In my opinion, it's a near-perfect film, and I agree that the theatrical release could play in its favor this year. There are some fantastic films in this category, but overall, I do think it's down to 1917 and Parasite. While, like Colin mentioned, they do have their, quote, flaws when it comes to predicting the winner, Parasite being a foreign film with subtitles, 1917's lack of editing and dialogue, um, though the continuous shot editing, like we mentioned earlier, worked for Birdman. Um, I have heard rumors through some articles that the Academy is reporting about 20 voters have not even watched Parasite yet, which does worry me a little bit. Um, and it's also very frustrating that the, the subtitles are getting in the way of some people viewing this. But I think that if the voters can get past the subtitles. Parasite will take it. The story in general, the acting, the way that they've kind of crafted this story in the direction. Uh, I think that it is definitely a best picture. I'm hoping that with so many, quote, underdog films winning best picture over the years, that this will do the same. And just for context on how worth it it is, this has a 93% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, I don't want to give that too much weight, but between the 93 audience and the 99 tomato meter, that's that's really says everything you need to know about how good yep. this movie is and how much and, buzz is around it. Oh, and like, like you look at this movie and Parasite is loved by audiences. Some people haven't watched it yet. That actually might benefit it, you know, if they do watch it and vote, you know, they like late in the process, that, that might be another benefit. But then you just look at, you also look at, okay, the experts. A lot of these guys are, are in the industry. They do this every year. They make these predictions. Uh, they like Parasite uh, about 29% or, uh, you know, you would bet that down to about plus 250. That's the implied odds. Well, it's still at plus 350. So there's still about a hundred cents of value here. It's a great value. Uh, great audience score. And, and I think, Colin, something you said earlier when, you know, you're, how are you going to attack this? You know, are you going to go with the favorite or are you going to try to look at some of the underdogs? And last year, I think, was a perfect example where, you know, I actually wrote a piece for Action Network and, and I'll be doing it again on, on kind of all these these different uh, awards. And I said for Best Picture, 
I think you got a fade Roma, which was the favorite. You put some down on Green Book and you have you have a little bit on Black Panther because Black Panther was this huge underdog, but couple getting some love from the experts there and the odds were just to where you could only put you know, a couple dollars there and you would kind of profit regardless as long as the favorite lost. I think this is kind of a, a similar situation where, you know, there's still about a, you know, there's still a lot of value on Parasite. You know, you can get, you should, it's a good value, I think down to plus 250, that might even uh, increase in terms of you know what what you could bet that down to and still feel like you're getting better uh, odds than than the book is giving you and then you know you have Joker here and at twelve to one even you know you can just put a tiny bit down on that if you're if you're fading uh, nineteen seventeen and then once upon a time in Hollywood uh, about eleven percent of the experts uh, you know like like that one to win and that's that's pretty much in line so you have a lot you know of, of plus money you know underdogs here at, at pretty good odds to where the, the the best most likely one to pull the upset you're still getting major value on that in Parasite. I think we all agree that there's only four movies that can win this category, right? 1917, Parasite, Once Upon a Time, and Joker. And two of those are at least eight to one or better odds, right? And I mean, so I think that's my plan of attack is you want to give me eight to one on one of the four films I think has a legit shot of winning this, I'll hit it. And, you know, if you want to split it up into quarter units or whatever, if you're keeping track of how much money you're spending, I don't think 1917 is the favorite, even though it's my personal favorite. Like the movie sent me on an emotional roller coaster. And after it, I felt more fulfilled walking out of a movie than I've seen in years. I don't think it's going to win. It's the editing aspect. I just think it's a great four horse race and any one of them can pull it. And if you want to give me eight to one odds on, on any of those horses, I'm going to take it. This is how you have to attack it. Same as last year. Fade the favorite and place wagers on, on the underdogs. And I, I see what you're saying, Colin, with going with the long shots, but I think you can actually hedge this in such a way that you're still getting value from Parasite because according to the experts, this is the one where the books are kind of underrating it the most. So, um, you know, the other two are kind of, you know, they're longer, they're, they have longer odds, but essentially those odds are either in line or, or a little inflated, you know, based on if you kind of look at it from what the experts are thinking here. So I've, I've kind of been following them for a few years and I've nailed uh, Moonlight, you know, Green Book um, and Shape of Water and with the, with the help of them. It's usually the second place a, a lot of time uh, expert vote that, that ends up being the winner and, and the favorite is overrated. And this year it's Parasite. So I think um, I, I love Parasite as my top bet. But yeah, I'm definitely hedging with Hollywood and, uh, and, and Joker. We have a Revo on the front of our shirts and Parasite on the back in this podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, Colin, I'll actually, you said 1917 was your, your favorite film. I mean, to yeah. me, it was Parasite. Like I was actually more emotionally compelled um, by Parasite. But do you think the ending, like with 1917, from a movie standpoint, like I walked out, I thought it was fantastic. But Parasite, I thought for 90% of the movie was done perfectly. And then the ending, it turns into Knives Out. It, I mean, there's there's so much blood going everywhere. Like the amount of murders at the end of it was way, I knew there was blood coming. I knew something bad was coming. Mm -hmm. I didn't know everybody was going to get the shiv. One thing I'll say about Parasite and the ending, and we should actually talk a little bit about this before we get out of here, um, just for people who maybe haven't seen all, all of these movies, um, or at least all of the contenders. The ending for Parasite, I thought, was done extremely well. I thought that's part of the reason I did like the movie so much. I think, um, you know, it was kind of, you didn't know what to expect in, in Parasite. It kind of led you through a few different paths. You didn't know if it was going to be one of these kind of sad dramas that just kind of unfolded on any real crazy action, or you, you didn't know if it was going to be, you know, it was kind of a comedy at one point. I thought it was great. This is absolutely why I think this has a really good shot at actually winning Best Picture, because while it is a foreign language and international film, it has two threads that everybody can connect to. One, it's a great commentary on class, which no matter where you fall on the socioeconomic spectrum, I feel like something you can relate to in it. 
And the ending sticks with you forever. To your point, Raybon, after I saw it, all I did for the next week was read think pieces about it because I was trying to process it. It was insane. Although I will say that an, an ending that also stuck with me from this year was Once Upon a Time. It took a lot longer to get there than it did in Parasite just because of the length of the movie. And obviously we were enjoying Brad Pitt driving a convertible around Southern California, which well, I'm never going to be mad about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> never going to be mad about that. However, that ending also shook me. You knew going into it, it was going to have ties to the, to the Manson family, but I didn't know how it was going to manifest itself beyond Brad Pitt hanging out with these weird girls on the compound. Um, and when you finally got to the ending of that movie, that one also really stuck with me. I think the end of Parasite to me did what Once Upon a Time wanted to. And I also think an interesting part about Parasite is like it is written and performed in such a way that you feel for these people who are taking advantage of this other family. I think it's really interesting the way that they kind of use the power dynamics and the class struggle to make you feel for each character in a different way. With Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I felt like it was two different stories trying to be told. Uh, I didn't like the way that Tarantino executed it because to me, I would have rather have seen the story of old Hollywood or the story of the Mansons. I'm not as interested in the like make-believe that they did at the end because I don't think they really earned it. It felt to me like a kind of disjointed story leading up to it. And so I was really personally frustrated by the end of it because while I thought it was an interesting take to kind of change history the way he did, I didn't feel like he focused enough on one versus the other to warrant that ending. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's a really good point that if Tarantino had, instead of kind of showing these two alternate stories and ending up with this was it, over three hour, three hour film, yeah. essentially, um, like if he had just kind of showed the audience, maybe if he could have done it in any number of creative ways, whether it was, you know, showing it on screen or just kind of showing newspaper headlines and just more details about what happened to Sharon Tate, um, Margot Robbie's character and how she was murdered so that you had the audience kind of fearing that the entire movie then I think the, the movie is a lot better. But the fact that like, you know, you can watch that movie having not much knowledge about um, the Sharon Tate murder. You don't really know what the hell's going on. And you don't necessarily know the significance behind the interactions in the, in the movie with, with Brad Pitt and, and the Manson family. So I, I do think, I do agree that that took away from it. And that's kind of why, I know Katie, you disagree, but and that's kind of why I don't really see Tarantino as a big threat in, in the best director category. Yeah, my, my devil's advocate for that was definitely just like, what what would be the most logical way that they could recognize what I consider to be the top three movies and the top three contenders for these big categories. And that, and that is definitely more of a sentimental play on the part of the Academy. Do you, I mean, I want to ask Katie, like, do you think that, I mean, as a Tarantino fan, like I did not put this movie above Kill Bill and Glorious Bastards, Pulp Fiction. Like it's not in my Tarantino library. Like I would still pop in Reservoir Dogs like five times before I'd watch this again. Yeah, I, to I totally agree with that, which is why I was initially very confused at the start of award season, why it was the favorite. It was the favorite as recently as last month when we first started mapping out this podcast for best picture, I should specify. As we've kind of alluded to throughout this podcast, uh, a lot of the Guild Awards and, and just other big awards, the Golden Globes, uh, BAFTAs, you know, things like that, those award ceremonies all kind of happen in, in, in about a month span of time during award season, you know, from January uh, to the Oscars, uh, you know, on February 9th. So January to February, all these things are kind of taking place. And I think the Globes being at the front, you know, they, they, they have a lot of weight when these, when these 
uh, odds first come out. And then people start seeing a lot more of the movies. And, and remember, again, the, the voters, the people actually voting on the Oscars admittedly do not see every film. And sometimes they admittedly do not see every best picture now. And so you, once upon a time in Hollywood was extremely popular. It was a big, it was a pretty big hit at the box office. And I think that was one that most people saw. It was one of the first ones I saw. And um, I, I did like it. I think I did put it up there in terms of Tarantino, but um, not ahead of Pulp Fiction uh, or, or, Kill, or the Kill Bills. But uh, I thought it was pretty good. But I think it was just kind of that. That's why it was the early favorite. And it didn't really have anything going against it. You know, it had acting noms. It had screenplay noms. It had, you know, it had all of the kind of necessary precursors as far as being one that could be the second least hated. And I think that's still a, a strong possibility when you consider, uh, again, you had Parasite, a hurdle in terms of international film. You have uh, 1917, a hurdle in terms of acting and, and just being more of a technical film. Uh, and then you have Joker uh, being a hurdle in terms of the, the, the element of it being kind of looked at as a superhero or supervillain movie, uh, really, in this case. So Once Upon a Time doesn't really have hurdles in terms of, you know, it's, it's a Hollywood movie. It's got good acting. It's got everything you would expect. So, I mean, it, it could, I think, become that, that like second least, uh, least hated or that least hated film. Again, DraftKings is offering 10 to 1 odds on any Oscars best picture bet. This must be your first DraftKings sportsbook bet. Uh, it is paid out in cash to New Jersey and Indiana residents only. Go to DraftKings.com for more details. All right. You've really made this a night to remember in every way. Now let's go party till dawn. Katie, Caroline, Colin. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I, this was a very in-depth discussion. I think some of you might have actually got me making a few other bets that I didn't make before. So um, really good discussion here. And thanks for listening. Be sure to check out actionnetwork.com. We will have Oscars content. I'll be writing a piece uh, on all of the awards and kind of any updated things that happen in the interim of, you know, when we recorded this on Monday, leading up to the awards on Sunday, anything will be reflected in our content. So be sure to check that out at actionnetwork.com. You guys can follow Caroline on Instagram at the underscore Caro, C-A-R-O underscore Smith. And you can follow Katie on Twitter at Katie S. Rich Creek, R-I-C-H-C-R-E-E-K. Uh, you can follow Colin Wilson on Twitter as well at underscore Colin, C-O-L-L-I-N and the number one. And you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Raybon. That is C-H-R-I-S-R-A-Y-B-O-N. And that'll do it for the Action Network podcast. Be sure to check us out for all your other sports gambling needs and download the Action Network app free right now live bet tracking, in-game win probabilities, all of that good stuff. And be sure to download the Action Network podcast on Spotify. Let's get this money. Peace out. We're finished talking. <laughs> 